We are going through the book of Ephesians and specifically we're going through the first three chapters in this first series and we're looking at the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And just for the sake of overview, for those who may not have been here this, this last Sunday, the book of Ephesians centers on, on basically two main themes. And the first theme that the Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is the reality of who we are in Christ. He is communicating to the church at Ephesus and then to us as Christians who we are in Christ and what has God done for us and what has he done in us and who does that make us? What are the spiritual blessings that he's given us? And, and we go, we're going to go over and over again looking at those spiritual blessings week after week. And then the second half of the book, starting in chapter 4, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, starting in Ephesians 4, 1, he says, I, I, I implore you, I ask you to walk in a, in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. All of these spiritual blessings and the calling that you've been called to walk in Christ, now I want you to live in accordance with who you are. And that's the heart of Ephesians. And in the last three chapters, 4, 5, and 6, it's very practical. We, we're going to talk about the local church and how it functions. We're going to talk about marriage and how a godly marriage should function. We're going to talk about raising kids. We're going to talk about the new life we have in Christ and talk about the way we think, the way we speak. We're going to talk about um, spiritual warfare and prayer, very practical application about how we should live. But it's so critical that if we're going to live in ways that honor God, it has to be on the foundation of who we are. And anytime you flip that order... Listen to me, anytime you flip the order and you begin to try to live right before the Lord on the basis of trying to prove your holiness before God, you've missed the point. And it begins to be works righteousness. But if you are living in light of the reality of what God has done on the cross for you and who he has created you to be in Christ, then that foundation of right living is correctly placed. And that you're doing it not because you're trying to be somebody, you're doing it because you are somebody. You're doing it because you are a new creation in Christ. And that makes all the difference in the world. You know, so many people have grown up in churches and the only messages they really ever heard were a bunch of messages of how to do this and how to do that. You do this and you do that. This is what you have to do. This is how you're supposed to live. And they've never been taught that that doing and that living is based upon a foundation of what Christ has done in you. Because who you are should influence how you live. You know, one of the greatest evidences that you're a believer in Jesus Christ is a changed life. You know, somebody, I've had people come to me and they want to know, am I a believer in Jesus Christ? Have I really been changed? And I'll say, well, if God has done a work in you and he's changed who you are on the inside, your life will change. You will think differently and you will speak differently and your marriage will look differently and you will see the world completely different. And that's what happens. That's the order of the gospel. It starts inside of our hearts and our very DNA is changed. And that's what we learned last week, that we become adopted into the family of God. When we are found in Christ, we become adopted. And, 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 and in an in a earthly adoption, the, the child that's getting adopted, they can never take the DNA of the parents, right? You just can't take that DNA. But in a spiritual adoption, the Bible says that we become partakers of the nature of God. That God, through our faith in the finished work of the cross, he gives us the very righteousness of Christ. And so now we are clothed in his righteousness and we are new creations and who we were is dead and we have been raised to newness of life. 
And that's the power of the gospel. And on that foundation is where right living comes from. So that's what we're after. This is the point of the series. And so we're going to continue on into this second spiritual blessing that we're going to look at. And before we get to it, before we get to the text, I just have to ask you a question. Have you ever felt like you've made too many mistakes for God to forgive you? Anybody ever felt like that? I've just done too much. I've made too many mistakes and I've blown it so much that God is just not going to forgive me. It's just too much this time. I've crossed a boundary one too many times and I've gone too far and, and God, I'm too far gone for God to redeem me, to restore me, to forgive me. Anybody ever felt like that? Yeah, I think we all have from time to time. And, and that's something that a lot of people face. Maybe some of you, you're, you're here this morning in, in situations in your life, maybe it's not decisions that you've made, but maybe you're in situations where decisions have been made against you and you feel like the situation you're in, it's too far gone for God to redeem or make anything good out of it. And that's how you feel. You feel, you feel like, like there's no hope. You feel like, God, where are you? God, I, 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 I don't think there's a way out from this. I just want you to know that the spiritual blessing we're going to look at this morning, we see in Ephesians, is that in Christ we have redemption. That God is a redeeming God, and he brings redemption, and he brings forgiveness. And so let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 7. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so what we, we want to look at, we want to look at three things in this text, in this picture of redemption and forgiveness. We want to see three implications of redemption and forgiveness that is found in Christ. And the first one is this, we have been purchased by Christ. We have been purchased by Christ. And that's what it says there. In him, we have redemption through his blood. And that word redemption, when the the Apostle Paul says that we've been redeemed in him, we have redemption through his blood. That word redemption here is used to describe a person paying a ransom for the releasing of someone who is enslaved or held captive. That's the picture of being redeemed. Somebody is a slave, they're held captive, and somebody is asking for a ransom. There must be payment for the releasing of the person that's held captive. And that is a picture, we looked at that last week, that is a picture of who we are before we're believers. We are held captive by sin. We are in bondage to sin and disobedience. We are in bondage to our sinful nature. And there's no way out from the captivity in and of ourself. As hard as we try to get out from under it, we cannot get out from under the chains. And there has to be a payment that is made. There must be a payment that is made to get us out of the captivity and the bondage and the, and, and the enslavement to sin and our sinful nature. And this is what it means that in Christ we have been redeemed. Sin and disobedience. Sin and disobedience for us to be out from under the captivity of sin, it requires a payment. It requires a payment. That's what we see in Romans six twenty three. It says, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so we're going to pay. If, we are, if you end your life and you are not found in Christ on that day. If you are not found to be in Christ, in relationship with him, not 
having his righteousness on your behalf. If you're not found in Christ, the wages of sin is death. And the wrath of God will come on all of those who have not been found in Christ, who are not, who are not in right relationship with him and have not repented of their sins and placed their faith in his finished work on the cross. And so the wages, there must be a payment. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus made the payment. The beauty of the gospel is that God so loved the world that he gave his son to be the payment for our sins, to pay the ransom. And that's, when, that's where redemption takes place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. This is the gospel in one verse. For our sake. Say that with me. Say, for our sake. He made him, Jesus, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus was a spotless, innocent son of God who had no sin, did not deserve the wrath of God. He was the innocent son of God, God in the flesh, sent from a holy father to take our place. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And through that payment, when Jesus died on the cross and he took the wrath that we deserved, when he took the punishment that we deserved and, 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 and it fell on him and he died, the wages of sin is death, and he died physically for us, then he made an avenue through the power of his death and ultimately his resurrection, he made an avenue for us to place our faith in that payment. You know, be, before there had to be a payment, that was not an eternal payment. In the nation of Israel, they'd have a high priest that would go once a year to the temple and would sacrifice a, a spotless lamb or a goat and, and sacrifice for the sins of the entire nation. But Jesus became the once for all sacrifice. Listen to Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs. And he is carried, and this is what I want you to hear, it's, it's ours. Second Corinthians, it was for our sake. And listen to Isaiah, surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that is the substitutionary atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He became our substitute. He became our substitutionary sacrifice. And there no longer had to be a lamb that was sacrificed every year. He became the once for all sacrifice. Hebrews 10 says this, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered once for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. By faith, in the substitutionary death of Christ on our behalf, we are redeemed and bought back from the slave market of sin. We are now under new ownership. 
That's what we talked about last week, that we are no longer slaves. We are under new ownership, and, that's, and that was only possible through redemption. A price had to be paid, and Jesus paid that price. Isn't that good news? That is the best news that anyone could ever hear. But it is not good news for those who don't believe they need a substitute. And that's the problem. That's the problem. That's the situation. When you tell somebody that, that there's a payment for sin and that there's a consequence for sin, people want to believe, well, well what have I really done? I'm really not that bad of a person. I, I, I'm really not, you know, I, I don't cheat on my wife. I don't cheat on my taxes, except for every other year maybe. Um, you know, I, I'm really not that bad. And, and what happens is, is that people compare themselves to the wrong standard. And they look at people that are really bad. They look at these people who go and shoot up schools and places. And they look at someone like Adolf Hitler. And they look at the worst of the worst. And they, and they look at them and they look at themselves and they say, hey, you know, I'm really not that bad in comparison to these folks. But the, but the problem is, is that they, they're looking in the wrong place. And what's the, what's the right place to look? So look at the holiness of God. Isaiah chapter 6, prophet Isaiah goes and has a vision he's in the temple and it says in Isaiah 6 that he saw the Lord high and lifted up and what did he see when he saw the Lord high and lifted up he saw his holiness he saw that God was holy and what did Isaiah say he said woe is me for I am undone and I and I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips and that has to be the foundation of the beginning of the of understanding that leads to salvation. And so until you get to that place, then you don't believe you need a savior, you need, a substitute. you need someone to pay the penalty for your sins. But that's the beauty of redemption, is that Jesus takes our place, and whenever he takes our place, and he pays the price to set us free, then now when we are in Christ, we belong to him. We belong to him, he adopts us into our family, and so now we're under new ownership. First Corinthians six nineteen says this, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Listen to this, you are not your own. You're, if you're in Christ, you don't belong to yourself. You used to live according to your own desires, your own ways, and you were the king of your own ship, the master of your own destiny, and you thought your life belonged to you, right? But then, but then whenever you had a revelation of who God is and his holiness, you recognize you're undone, you come to faith in Jesus, he redeems you, he pays the price for your sin, and now he says, hey, you're mine. You're mine now. And I'm not an evil taskmaster like sin is. I'm not an evil taskmaster like Satan. I'm a good father. And I love you, and I care for you, and I'm going to adopt you into my family. You're going to take my name. Listen to what it says here. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So, this is so good right here. This is Ephesians right here. This is Ephesians. This is a summary of, of what we're going to go through through all these weeks. You were bought with a price. You're in. You belong to me. I'm yours. So, glorify God in your bodies. So, live, live in accordance with that. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 says this. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but what was, the, what was the payment? But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. You, you know, I, I think about that reality that those of us that are in here that belong to Christ and we are in him and, and Jesus shed his blood for you, I think about the responsibility that I have as a pastor. You know, it's, it's not that 
It's not that I'm not accountable to you for how I live and what I speak, because I am. It's not that, you know, uh, uh, people out on the outside will see and hear and, 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 and I have to live above reproach because I do. But ultimately, one day, I will stand before the Lord to give an account for how I lived as a shepherd and how I lived as a pastor and how I shepherded you and pointed you towards Christ's likeness. And, and, and the reason that the stakes are so high is because it was the precious blood of Jesus that was spilled on your behalf. He paid for you. He, you belong to him. You don't belong to me. I may be your shepherd, but I'm not the chief shepherd. I'm the under-shepherd. Christ paid a price for you. You are his. If you are in him, you belong to him. And so when I'm up here, I, I feel it every Sunday when I walk down that center aisle and I get to this seat right here, I feel the weight of the pressure and I say, Lord, help me to care for your people. These are your people. This is your church. And that's the picture that we need to understand that we belong to him. You're not your own. He bought you. He paid for you with his own blood you were ransomed we're redeemed amen amen and the the direct result of the redemption is number two the second implication the direct the the the, what, what happens because of redemption number two is that our sins have been forgiven and forgotten amen our sins have been forgiven and forgotten how many of you want your sins forgotten I mean, I, I just think about my life and the decisions I've made in my life. And I thank God you are so gracious and merciful. And it's hard for me to forget the mistakes. You have, do you have trouble forgetting your sins and your failures and mistakes? Sometimes they haunt you like that song that we sung. The ghost haunt us. The ghost of our past, our past failures and mistakes. But the beauty is, is that our sins in Christ when we're redeemed are forgiven and they're forgotten forever. It's what it says in Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. In Christ, our sins are forgiven. By repentance and faith, we are set free from the guilt and the shame that resulted from our rebellion against God. Redemption brings forgiveness, and then forgiveness brings freedom from guilt, condemnation, and shame. Anybody like Shakespeare? This morning, eh, maybe, maybe not. Got some, uh, got some, um, some bookworms in here that probably love Shakespeare. But Shakespeare wrote some pretty depressing things, and uh, this quote kind of speaks to that. In, in Shakespeare's King Richard III, he writes, "The king laments and says this: My conscience has a thousand several tongues, and every tongue brings a several tale." And every tale condemns me for a villain. Whew. Right? You ever felt that sense of that, that guilty conscience? And your conscience has a thousand, several tongues, and they're speaking to you. And they're speaking to you. And, and maybe for you, you're in Christ. And you have been redeemed and forgiven. But we still sin as believers. The pattern of our life is towards righteousness and holiness. We want to please the Lord, but we still, we still will sin because we're not perfected yet. And we can be in Christ, but we can still have that guilty conscience because of failures that we've made. And, that, and, the, and the devil, through his tongue, he's, it's like a thousand tongues speaking to you. Let's put the quote back up of Shakespeare. It's speaking to you. 
And it's telling you several tales and reminding you of all the failures that you've done and you feel like you're the villain. Now maybe some of you, you are not in Christ. You've not been redeemed and forgiven and you need to listen. Now hear me, you need to listen. You need to respond to the guilty conscience and you need to recognize that that is a reality and that you are the villain. That you are the enemy of the cross. If you read early in Romans 5, when I read that, that we were his enemies. And you need to come to, the, to, to that realization as we spoke about earlier. But for those that are in Christ, what is the reality? What does scripture say? For those who are in Christ, this is not King Richard's reality. It's not our reality. For those that are in Christ, Romans 8, 1 through 2 says this about us in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What is condemnation? Condemnation is a legal declaration that you are guilty. If Jesus took your place and he took your punishment and you put your faith in him, then you are cleared of all charges of guilt. Forever. Forever. He's not going to go back one day and say, okay, I'm going I'm to give you the charges back. You've earned those, that, that guilt charge. No. When, you, when God gives you the, his very, the very righteousness of his son Jesus, it is yours. It belongs to you. You couldn't earn it, and you can't keep it by being good enough. If you couldn't earn it by being good enough, for him to give it to you, what makes you think you can ever be good enough to maintain it? It's all of grace. It's all of grace. And the devil comes, and he tries to convince you that you're not forgiven, that you're you're really not in Christ. But Scripture tells us the legal demands of sin and, and the payment that was due has been paid by Christ. And those that are in Christ, there's no condemnation. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For the wages of sin is death. You've been set free from the law of sin and death because you're in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are new creations in Christ. Hundreds of years before Calvary, Micah, the book of Micah, he declares this. Micah 7, 18 through 19. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever. Because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Amen. The prophet Isaiah speaks of the redemption that will be found in the Messiah's work on the cross. Isaiah 44. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgression like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. This is the picture of what God has done in us through Christ Jesus that we are forgiven. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are found in Christ Jesus. Psalms 103, 8 through 12 says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. 
He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us, listen to this, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Because if he did, who could stand? Who could stand if he dealt with us according to our sins and our failures and our our iniquities? We would all be gone with no hope. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. You are in him, how high above the heavens and the earth is his steadfast love towards you. As far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. Think about that. Think about it. As far as the east. How far away from the east is the west? Infinite. It's an an infinite distance. We can't measure that. If you belong to Christ and you are his child, I don't care how many sins you committed in your past. If the devil is whispering in your ears, those sins are gone. They, are, they are, have been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. They've been forgotten. They've been cast into the sea, as it says in Isaiah. And when the devil comes and speaks and whispers into your ear, you need to remind him of the truth of God's word, that I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed, I've been ransomed, I belong to him. And if you currently are in a position of having made mistakes and sins and failures, you need, you need to know that this is your God. This is the God that, that, doesn't, that doesn't withhold his steadfast love from those that belong to him. And that he will redeem and restore. And he will work in your life and help you to mature in your faith. That's the steadfast love of God. Let's go back to the text in Ephesians. I, I want to point something out here. Uh, that last section, Ephesians 1, 7, and 8. Just, you just put the whole section up. Right here, in him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And look, 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 look what it says here. According to the riches of his grace. So this redemption, this forgiveness, what is, it, what is it according to? The riches of his grace. According to. It didn't say that the grace came out from God. It said it was according to his riches. So here's the picture. So what it means that it's according to. Let's say I'm a billionaire, which I will never be a billionaire being your pastor at Living Word Church. But let's just say, hypothetically, I'm a billionaire. And, and you want me to donate to your charity. And so I write you a check, and I give you $25. That check was given out of my riches. This big, huge pile of riches that I have, the billions of dollars that I have, I went down in there, and I picked a $20 bill and a $5 bill, and I gave it to you out of my riches and gave it to you. Now, if I was to give it give to you according to my riches, what would that look like? Well, I have billions of dollars, right? So according to my riches, in proportion to my riches, I would write you a check for two or three hundred thousand dollars, maybe a million dollars, because it is according to my riches. You guys get it? That's the picture of God's grace. That when he gives us his grace, it's not out of his riches. He didn't just say, okay, I'm going to give you a little bit here. Okay, you kind of deserve it right now, so I'm going to give you a little portion. Good luck, and hopefully that helps you. No, he went all the way. He went all the way to the cross. He took all the guilt, all the shame, all the punishment, and he took all of it on himself. And he said, it is according to my riches. How rich is God? Infinitely rich. He owns it all. He owns, as scripture says, the the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything. All things come from him. 
He owns that. He's the creator of the universe. The, 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 the universe, the galaxies are still expanding. They're still expanding. We don't know the end of them right now. When the Hubble Space Telescope was put out into orbit, the scientific community was blown uh, their, 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 their understanding of the world was blown, of the galaxies were blown because they, for the first time they could see that it's a lot bigger than they ever thought it was. And it's continuing to expand. I'm not an expert. I actually know an expert, in, in, two experts in, in the room this morning. And maybe, maybe they'll correct me uh, after this message. But from, from my understanding, it's still expanding. But it, it's, God is vastly rich beyond anything we can understand. And he says, I'm going to give you my grace in accordance with that rich wealth that I have according to that wealth and those riches the redemption and forgiveness we find in Christ is done according to the riches of his grace the infinite riches of God's grace can never listen can never be exhausted for those in him his grace is an endless supply of undeserved forgiveness and power amen amen those who are in Christ have been redeemed and forgiven And now we're going to transition to this final thought here. Those who are in Christ have been redeemed and forgiven. And now they are able to see the world around them correctly. They're able to see the world around them correctly. This is our third point. Let's go back to the text. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished upon us. Listen to this. In all wisdom and insight making known to us. To who? To those who are in Christ, to us, the mystery of his will. So now, the third point here, the third implication of being redeemed and forgiven and being found in Christ, having your sins paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ, is that number three, we now have the mind of Christ. We now have the mind of Christ. We can now see things correctly. It says we've been given wisdom and insight to understand the mystery of God's will. That word wisdom that Paul used right here, it speaks of understanding ultimate things. Understanding ultimate things like life and death, God and man, righteousness and sin, heaven and hell, eternity and time. The world grapples at trying to figure out what's the purpose of life? Why am I here? Why do I exist? Who is God? What is God? Where is God? What about eternity and time? Is this all there is? Is this all there is to life? And they are grappling with those answers. And this is what they do. They suppress all of that down in the business of their life and pleasures and, 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 and pursuits of pleasure. And, 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 and they just ignore the big questions of life. But those who are found in Christ, it's been given to us to understand and to know. We understand where does life come from? It comes from God. We're not here by accident. We're not the result of a cosmic accident. God, 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 God took purpose and planning to create this universe and to create you and I. We are not the result of chance. God uniquely wired us and designed us and that is an understanding and knowledge that comes to those who believe in him and his son Jesus Christ. We understand life and death and what is, what is death for people? Death is, is the end. It's it. For those that are outside of Christ, they don't want to think about death. They want to, again, push down that thought of the end of everything. Because for them, there's just nothingness. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. For those of us in Christ, we know that death is not the end. We know that we have an inheritance. That's what we're going to look at next week. We have an inheritance that is stored up for us because we're in Christ. 
That word insight, so that, that's what the word wisdom means, the ultimate things. The word insight that says that we've been given gives a picture of understanding the practical things of life. It speaks of understanding how to spiritually look at the handling of daily affairs. And so not only have we been given wisdom in the ultimate things, but we've been given wisdom and insight on how to live every single day in our relationships with our family and our friends and on our job. And that comes from being found in Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16 says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Listen to this. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we, who are in Christ, we have the mind of Christ. And what is the mind of Christ? The mind of Christ is the infinite knowledge of all that God is and what he has revealed to us in his word. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So if we have the mind of Christ, that means we have access to understand scripture. And scripture is where the source of all wisdom and insight is found. How to live practically. How, what, what, what are the big pictures, big answers to the big questions in life? We have the mind of Christ because we belong to him. And we no longer build our life on, a, on shifting sand as the world does. But we build it on the solid foundation of his word. You know, in Matthew 7, there's a story about two different types of builders. You have one builder that builds his life in his house on sand and that's apart from the mind of Christ that's apart from God's truth and wisdom and understanding that's found in him and then you have another builder that builds his house on the solid rock of the understanding of who God is and his word and what's interesting is is that it says there Jesus is telling this story giving this example he says that the winds and the, the waves beat on both houses us as believers that are found in Christ are not exempt from suffering We go through the same sufferings that the world does. But the difference is, is that when we go through suffering and pain, we have the mind of Christ. We're able to process and understand ultimate things and what matters most. And the other house that is not founded on the truth of God's word, it says says that, that that house falls and it crumbles and it says, how great is that fall? And that phrase, how great is that fall, is speaking about the ultimate destination of all those who are not founded on the rock Christ Jesus. How great is that fall to not be found in Christ. We'll quote Shakespeare one more time. I don't think I've ever quoted Shakespeare twice in one message. <laughs> We're going to quote him one more time. Macbeth, another character in Shakespeare's writing, declares his understanding about the meaning and culmination of our existence. Listen to this. This is the understanding. A tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing that's somebody without the mind of Christ that's somebody that doesn't understand ultimate things somebody that doesn't understand that God is a God of love that God created them for a unique purpose and plan in their life that there is meaning in suffering there can be meaning in suffering and redemption and forgiveness we know let's go back to the text here Verses 9 through 10 of Ephesians 1 will end here. 
He's made, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so when you look around, you think this world is crazy. And that's, that's what those who are not in Christ, that's what they see. They see this world's falling apart. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. It's folly. It's vanity. It's pain. It's suffering. You live and you work and you store up money and then you die and somebody takes your money and it's just meaningless. It's meaningless. It's sound and fury. It's a tale told by an idiot and it signifies nothing. That's what you would think if you did not know God and you did not know Christ. I just want to say this, that God will sum everything up. God will bring everything all together. It says in Romans chapter 8 that the earth itself is groaning for redemption, right? To be redeemed, to be restored because the physical earth itself is under the curse of sin. It's fallen. That's why we have earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes, natural disasters because it's longing for for redemption. It says we ourselves are groaning for redemption, longing to be relieved from this existence we have on earth. We're subjected to sin and suffering and pain. The Lord will sum it all up. And there will be a day where there's no more tears. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. And all of those that have been found in Christ, that have been redeemed and forgiven, they will be be with the Lord forever in eternity. And that's the culmination of history. We know that this fallen world is not the end. We know that the same God who has redeemed us as fallen human beings will have the final say concerning this world. John MacArthur says this about history. History belongs to God. Not to the puny plans of man or the perverse power of Satan. History is written and directed by its creator who will see it through to the fulfillment of his own ultimate purpose in the summing up of all things in Christ. History belongs to God. The God of redemption and forgiveness will have the final say. Amen? Amen. Once you stand to your feet with me. The God of redemption and forgiveness will have the final say. The final say. You know, I introduced my message by asking the question. I asked the question that have you ever experienced making mistakes and, re- and blowing it, really blowing it, messing up and feeling like there's no, there's no more hope? There's no more hope for you. You feel like you've made too many mistakes. Or maybe you're, you're in a situation that you feel like there's no more hope. There's no more hope that I can get out of this and find redemption in the middle of this. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a job situation. But I want to pose that question again. I want to ask you, are you is, 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 is that you? Is, is, is that you? Is that where you are? That you're in a place where you feel like there's no hope. God can't forgive me. God can't restore me. I've made too many mistakes. You know, we would be wasting our time preaching this message if we didn't believe that there is hope for you. There's hope for you. There's hope for your marriage. There's hope for your relationship with your kids. There's hope for you on your job. There's hope for you in your relationship with God that you can be redeemed. You can be forgiven. God can bring restoration in every circumstance. Nothing is too far gone. Do you believe that with me this morning? Nothing is too far gone. So with nobody looking, nobody looking around, heads bowed, I just want to talk to that person, those people that are here this morning. I want to ask you is is that you and you and you know right now if 
if it's you and you're at that place of brokenness your heart is crying out God I want to be in right relationship with you I want to have redemption and forgiveness I want the situations in my life that are broken to be restored if that's you I want to pray for you this morning I want to pray for all of those that that resonates with your heart. So if you will make your way down front, I want to pray for you. Is there anybody here like that that resonates with your heart and you want me to pray for you? Please make your way down front so I can pray for you. Is there anybody? That's your your story. That's where you are and you need prayer. You need support. Anybody? Yeah. Anybody else? There, There are others that are there need restoration of broken things. Anybody else? Yeah. Come on down. I think all of us at seasons of our life, we we feel different things at different times. It's it's humbling to come down and to admit, hey, I'm I'm broken, but we're all broken. All of us are broken. All of us make mistakes. And all of us are in situations that are broken at, from time to time. Is there anybody else? I just want to leave time. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's not, it's not too late. It's not too far gone. Won't you stretch your hands towards all these that have come down? We're just, we're going to pray for them we believe that God is a God of miracles and that God is a God of restoration and I don't know the situations you guys are facing exactly what you're going through but we're going to believe that today is a new day today is a day where you leave this morning understanding who you are in Christ and this is the beginning of a new journey for you in everything that you're facing God I pray for each person that's up here this morning Lord I pray Lord that you would heal what is broken God I pray that you would restore where they have fallen God, I pray that you would redeem and forgive. Lord, I pray that the situations that they're facing, maybe in their marriage or on their job or in their family, the brokenness that is there, Lord, I pray that there would be restoration and that there would be healing by the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. God, I thank you, Lord, that you are a God of steadfast love, that you give us your grace in accordance with the vastness of your riches. And I thank you for that grace that is made alive in each and every heart here this morning and those that are down here. God, I thank you, Lord, that you are reminding them of who they are. And you're reminding them of the power that is at work in their life through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray all these things. Lord, bless them in Jesus' name. Thank you for healing and restoration. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Amen. Amen.